Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everybody, welcome to the Barca Blog Runners podcast. My name is Josh, and we have uh, we have Nick joining us to lament over the U.S. men's national team at the end of the podcast. But first, we're, of course, going to get into some Barcelona news. Nick, how are we doing today? Doing good. Feeling a little bit sad without a midweek fixture, but, um, you know, hanging in there doing other things in my life. That's good. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, you can watch Ronaldo score six goals for uh, in, the, in the Saudi League. Um Yes. Let's talk about something that uh, I, I think ne- neither one of us kind of thought we would be in the position of talking about, and that's Ansu Fati potentially leaving Barcelona. Um, there was some chatter this week, basically from you know Laporta, basically saying they're never going to sell him unless he asks for it. But we all know who his agent is, uh, and Mr. Mendez isn't going to stand for his uh, star client not being a priority at the club for this long. Um, he clearly isn't a favorite of Xavi when it comes to big games or big matches uh, at this point, unless there's significant injury problems. Do you see a world where he earns that trust before the end of the season? Because I think, I think it feels like if he's not a consistent starter or at least key rotation player by the end of the season, it seems like he's going to be gone, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, and at this point in the season, it's crunch time. So this is not the part of the season where a coach is going to start rotating as much and give as many chances to the players that he doesn't think can help him win trophies. And if at this point, Ansu hasn't gotten those minutes, those critical minutes, uh, I'm not sure it's going to happen going forward unless, you know, you stay ready because opportunities do present themselves if there are injuries or anything else that could happen. Um, I think he will play, but whether he's getting the playing time he wants uh, to make him happy at the end of the season, is another story altogether. And no, I would say at this point, especially with Rafinha filling in for Dembele, that was an opportunity to give some more minutes to him. And it's not happening. And with this new four midfielders, uh, as opposed to playing with the extra forward, that could have been Ansu and Rafinha playing together right now. But Xavi still prefers to go with the extra midfielder now. So he's kind of the odd man out. I do think I would like to see him at the very least get more minutes off the bench and not just in like the 85th minute coming on a little bit earlier to help the team. Uh, I think he does have a lot to offer and I hope it does happen. But I think because of his situation, like the agent is one thing. I think even if he's just a side character this season, I think I don't think Ansu Fati would be just ready and willing to give up in Barcelona so soon. And I think that's the good news. I think he really is Barcelona born and bred. And he knows that the season was, it was what it was, his getting back on his feet. And I think he would be the one 
I just have a hard time seeing him want, wanting to leave. Um, Jason wrote a good article for the site just asking the question, like, should Barcelona even consider cashing in? Like, is this the time to perhaps mm -hmm. sell high? Because if you think about it, right, he hasn't gotten enough playing time to show if there are like significant gaps in his game returning from injury. I think there have been enough flashes yep. to where you still kind of like he could still be a star theoretically. We don't know. Uh, Xavi doesn't seem to think so. Uh, if you were in Barcelona, you know, you're you're in Laporta's shoes. Do you consider cashing in on a prospect you could make a lot of money for this summer? I don't know. It depends. Like, I just don't see Barcelona as a selling team in general. So what does selling high even mean when it comes to Ansu Fati? Um, how high would anyone be willing to sell? The, the, the team that's always mentioned is Manchester United. And under Eric Ten Hag, and especially this last year, they've done a lot without, um, you know, going out. And, well, they, they spent some good money and they're willing to spend money, I think. But I don't think they're as um, crazy as other teams. And they get new ownership coming in. Maybe they'll want to make a, in a you know, big signing like Ansu Fati. Uh, but it just depends how high. And, uh, you know, Barcelona really needs to get some money in. And they, they might consider it. I think there's still a lot of things we don't really know behind the scenes about how they make the accounting work. Uh, so they might consider it for sure. If the price is right, I think anyone will. Uh, but uh, at this point, I, I think it'll be a lot of rumors and anything can happen. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, but I think on to, at the end of the day, I think the player has to really want it. I mean, look at Frankie Young. He really didn't want it. And players have a lot of power. He wanted to stay at the club. So I think it'll say a lot about Ansu Fati and where his mind is at based on how the uh, how the summer goes and how the rest of the season goes. Um, but yeah, I, I, I see ultimately though, it does matter. Like, does your coach want you? Uh, and if Xavi is giving him signals that he doesn't count on him, then maybe that'll be the difference. The club is coming off uh, a great, pretty dominant win over Sevilla. Uh, it's opened up an eight point gap in La Liga after Real Madrid's loss. Uh, what did you take away from the win over Sevilla? Because I find it kind of like, this isn't your Sevilla of old, obviously. <laughs> They're in 16th no. place in the league right now. Uh, they muster, I think, one shot on goal in the match. They looked just completely overwhelmed. Um, did you take anything away from it other than Sevilla sucks? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not as like, impressive as, as a statement win as it would have been in years prior. But, you know, they have, a, they have a new coach. They're playing slightly better than they were in the beginning of the season. And they still have a lot of good players on that team. So beating Sevilla is always a good thing. And honestly compared to last season where Barcelona was just dropping points against all the minnows in the league. It's nice to see them comfortably um, get these wins. And uh, I think ultimately at this point in the season, that's why they're on top and they have this eight point cushion because they're not drawing games like they were last season. I think it's two draws and one loss they have in the season. Yeah. So it was a really it's good It's also win. nice to win a match, not just one zero or two one and be like worried till the 91st minute. Yeah. It took a while for it to break open, but Man, everyone just seems to really enjoy playing with each other right now. Uh, it's really nice to see a huge, like Robert Lewandowski be out. And, you know, it was 1-0 victories that got them through, but they found a way to win. And now with Dembele, I'm like, ah, that he was a you know really key component of what was making this attack go. And it's, you know, they, they just they have a, a system and a style of play that's working really well. And yeah, Rafinha is very different to Dembele, but he stepped in very well, I think, and he's working hard. He's making a difference. And they seem to really enjoy playing with one another. There's a lot of good vibes coming from this team. And that defense, I mean, when you have a goalkeeper and a back four who you are not worried about constantly, 
you could take more risks going forward, and I think it makes a huge difference. So I think we have to give props to Christensen and Kunde because with those guys in the back line right now, it gives you so much security. Um, and ultimately, when you win games 1-0, 1-0, it's, it's not because your, uh, your forwards are the ones getting the job done. It's because you're having a great defensive um, line that you, just, that you can rely on, and that's something that's been different for Barcelona this season. 100%. Um, only seven goals given up in the league so far, and that was actually that was a question I, I did want to talk about. Um, the back line has been incredible. I think uh, Jules Koundé has made it clear He's not, you know, he doesn't love playing right back, but he's been great at right back. And whether, you know, Araujo and Christensen both have looked great at center back. Uh, what's your back line of choice for Barcelona right now? Because I think kind of the rotation piece that's been happening, they've been switching up the center backs a little bit, but they seem to really like Araujo at right back. And then they're switching between Jordi and Balde at left back. Uh, yep. I know my preference at left back, but I'm curious as to yours. Yeah, I think uh, Balde is definitely the left back of the future, but I saw you published an article that Alba wants to stay and he's willing to reduce his salary in order to do it. And let's be honest, Jordi Alba is still so good. In games where you you know, don't have to worry so much about his defensive responsibilities, nobody can pick out a pass in the final third like Jordi Alba. He's still an incredible player in that respect. But no, um, uh, Balde is the player of the future. I love a player, you know, I think the, the, the football is changing again where you need guys who can dribble. Um, and if we're not going to have that on the left wing, we need that from a fullback who can get forward and break lines down. And Balde is so fun. He's the real deal. And you and mentioned passing in the final third. The right side too. Sorry to interrupt, yeah. but you mentioned passing in the final third. I think, was it the match against Betis where Balde had the ridiculous run and pass into the final third? Is that the match I'm thinking yeah. of? Okay. Yeah. I mean, he can do it too, but he does it differently yeah, than Jordi yeah, Alba. Yeah. Jordi Alba will just pick the pocket of space and just whip in a perfectly placed ball. And Balde does it like on the run. Uh, it's so weird having the left back like position after the years of us talking about who's the left back. Uh, they actually like it's one of the positions with the most stability right now. Like so long as Alba doesn't pull a yeah. hamstring, like ha being able to rotate those two is pretty nice. Yeah, it's really great. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, Baldi's been around for years now. So the fact even la like last year he didn't get more playing time. I thought he was great even two years ago when he first made his debut. Um, but now we have depth all of a sudden. Right fullback is a different question. Uh, but, you know, it is incredible that we have, you know, Kunde is just a great option right there. And he's the kind of player you just want on the field. I think part of the reason you want him is because he just, him and Araujo have so much swagger and confidence. Like, no offense to PK. He has a different type of confidence. He has a, I'm a pretty boy off the field confidence. But he's not like, he doesn't have that just like warrior spirit that Kunde and Araujo give you. And I, I love the way he celebrates goals. I know it was like a problem against Sevilla because he wasn't supposed to celebrate that goal against Sevilla being a former team. But so many good vibes coming from this defense. So much like warrior confidence that really helps out the team. But yeah, I think right back is still something to think about. There's a lot of teams who, if you have a great right winger, you don't need a right fullback going forward as much. Uh, and Sergio Roberto is great re-signing if it really is like as low of a salary as they say it is. Um but no, it's the you had the question was who is the back four right now? And I think it has to be Kunde, Raujo, Christensen, and Balde, um, with some nights depth behind them. But the thing that is really interesting is how Eric Garcia is like nowhere to be seen anymore, and how he was playing so much to start the season. But if he's in the lineup, it totally changes the profile of the defense. So I'm not sure if he's one that has a future at Barcelona. Not because he's not capable of playing, just because I don't think he fits the new profile they're going for. Yeah. Um 
Let's talk about uh, the attack for a second. Do you like the idea of four midfielders, or do you wish that it was kind of just like a an easier placement in the four four three for Dembele and Fatu get more minutes, or Torres, or whoever it might be? When, right now, it's definitely working, and uh, it's interesting how fluid it is. It's not just like oh, put on a fourth midfielder and we'll just put Gavi in the left wing. How they have this really good, almost um, without thinking about it. Uh, understanding when you know what Gavi can pop wide when he's going to come more narrow when do they allow the left fullback to get forward and occupy the space so it works really well and I think the benefit that I like about it is now we're getting to see a guy like Frank Cassie on the field more too to see what he can do and at Barcelona you have so many talented midfielders it's how you dominate possession but you also can get more of this kind of very small passing creativity in the final third that's better than just whipping and crosses all the time so I think there's advantages to it uh, but ultimately, uh, if you're still going to play with two forwards, I think players like Ansu and Ferran Torres still have a role in that lineup. I was more concerned about Rafinha fitting in, so it was nice to see that in the last few games. So if it does, if it's working, keep keep riding it. But I think Chavi has to figure out if this is just a short-term fix or whether there's something to it that he can build on for the future. Yeah, um, especially with all the matches coming up over the next two months, we play Real Madrid three times. Two times in the Copa yes. del Rey, one time in the league. Obviously, the match against Villarreal this weekend, big top six matchup. Two matches against Manchester United in the next two weeks. Uh, things are getting busy. Um, we're not going to chat before the first or the second leg of the Manchester United matches in all likelihood. Uh, who do you like? Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be... I, I really don't know. I think it's a toss-up. 100%. Um I think a, a very well coached team by with Eric Ten Hag, and I think Chavi has to be ready for that because I think he's been brilliant sometimes, but I think Chavi's also been naive at times in big games, just not quite getting it right. And I think I would take from a coaching standpoint the experience of Eric Ten Hag, who's also been very well in the Champions League in the past. He has some pedigree in these knockout tournaments, so I think it's the coaching that'll make the difference. Um, but you know they struggled against Leeds on their day. Man, Man United still. Doing very well, but uh, they're not unbeatable. Uh, I mean, Europa League has so many good good teams in it. So Barcelona has to be ready. I think that Manchester United will be very happy to not play with the ball. So they'll probably let Barcelona have possession. And, you know, it's going to come down to those little details, being clinical. And then, uh, but I guess at the end of the day, I'm really, you know, confident in Barcelona these days. Because once again, I think their defense inspires confidence. And uh, so I, I mean, like their chances. When this draw first was announced, I think it was probably what, like three months ago, like in December at some point is when we figured out the draws. Does that sound about right? Yeah, a while ago. I yeah. mean, it was kind of like, not like the, not not like a bum matchup, right? Because Barcelona were still good at the, that point, but United were still kind of a joke at that point. They had not figured things out. And now you look at it and it's the best team in Spain at the moment. And one of the, yeah. you know, three, four best clubs in England and it's happening in the Europa League, right? So it's kind of, it's not as magical, but it's still like getting to watch these two teams line up against each other in pretty good form in whatever competition, yeah. exhibition, Europa League, whatever. It's going to be thrilling. And I'm just really excited. Yeah, they're going to go for it. They both want trophies. These are two clubs that are dying for success in any capacity that they can get it. And it's exciting. You know, Casemiro has been fantastic. Marcus Rashford is like a superstar again. So, um, it's going to be a great game, but at the end of the day, it's going to be a toss-up. And who's ever, I, I think it's going to come down to coaching. And so Chavi has to get it right. I think we're going to live and die by the decisions he makes in that game. Uh, let's talk about the Super League. Uh, okay. I don't know if you saw the uh, the the 10 principle plan 
that was released for the European Super League. Uh, the thing that, of course, jumped out to me was uh, 60 to 80 teams in a multi-divisional competition that would allow for sustainable distribution of revenue. Uh, 60 to 80 is insane. Um, domestic tournaments, which I, I'm a little bit confused by this part. Participating clubs should remain fully committed to domestic tournaments as they are today. Uh, I'm still... Maybe you can help me understand this a little bit. I've reread a lot of this. Uh, it's very clear that you know the three clubs of Real Madrid are are Barcelona and Juventus are going to need more support to actually make this happen. But I'm I guess I'm a little confused as to how how they plan on running a sixty to eighty team league and still do domestic. Like, do they mean like still doing the FA Cup and like the Carabao Cup in England and then? Uh, the Copa del Rey in Spain, or do you think like they're trying to keep the domestic leagues going on top of the Super League? Like, is that what they're implying? I think it's intentionally vague about exactly what they mean by that. Um, well, I think they do intend for there to be the domestic leagues going, and I think they'll take more than less. I think they really do want to. I think that Javier Tebas called this like a coup d'état. So they, this really is supposed to like be a threat to the uh to la liga and all the domestic leagues but a team like barcelona i don't think would participate in both i think maybe they would be able to go back to spain to the copa del rey in tournaments like that but ultimately um no the super league would stand on its own and they'd have as many games as they want i think they're saying like vague like maybe uh we'll just it'll be more of just like a replacement for the champions league or maybe it'll be a replacement as like a, an actual league for like the best teams to play in which why in those principles are saying it's still going to be competitive it's going to be open nobody gets a free pass anymore and I think it's about they purposefully try to highlight those principles because uh, they want to be open to whatever format it ends up taking uh, and that try to address all the controversy that it had in the, the last time around. But I think it's vague. I honestly I read that as well, and I'm not sure exactly what it means, um, but maybe it could be either or. Uh, but ultimately, I think we, when you hear Javier Tebas saying, oh, this is a coup uh, in the long run, they want to take over. And it would mean that Barcelona and Real Madrid never really play in La Liga. In the short term, maybe it would be different, but in the long run, I, I think ultimately they would be the the super teams would be uh, done with it. Sixty to eighty teams. Like I'm just like again because they're vague with it. What do you like? Do you think they want tiered divisions? Do you think that's the that's idea? Sort of, yeah, I think that that's how I was reading into it. But once again, I think it's just like let's throw things at the wall and let's see what sticks. So I think it would be like divisions i'm not sure if it would be like like southern europe and northern europe divisions or how they would do it probably think about it um and then you can actually qualify for it maybe from the domestic league so obviously you would need to have their buy-in which i don't think they ever will um and then they'd find a way to make divisions out of it and have more teams participating in it which would make it even more of a threat to the domestic leagues yeah i mean just like thinking about it, i i'm guessing they would go off of like club revenue for how they want teams to qualify so you're gonna have like championship teams from england probably getting in before you have like athletic bilbao or something like that like you have like 25 teams from england you know 10 teams from spain 10 teams from germany 10 teams from france italy and it's just i i don't know it's kind of it's kind of mind-boggling because if you're throwing them into your divisions what you're gonna have like Arsenal has a bad year and they get relegated to the second tier Super League. Like, it's just, I don't know. Yeah. It's terrible. Well, I mean, ultimately, 
It is. I mean, I, it's just, it's what's interesting to me is that you have the Super League come out and the ones who are commenting, keeping it alive, you know, are the guys from like La Liga. But without England, there is no Super League. And the Premier League is becoming the Super League. Like they do not need this. And as long as there's no buying from English teams, there's not going to be a Super League. And with the Premier League's growth and just taking off even more right now, I don't see why any English team would ever agree to participate in it. And if that's the case, I think it's a non-starter. What are your thoughts on, speaking of the, the Premier League becoming a Super League, uh, what are your thoughts on the City allegations? Do you think that anything is going to come of it other than a slap on the wrist? I think it could. It seems pretty serious. Um, it's, I don't know, it's, uh, maybe it'll be not as severe as people think it is. Uh, but you could see some kind of points reduction, at least like the way Juventus was, has suffered this year. But at the same time, like the success of Manchester City has really in the last 10 years helped, you know, with the success of the Premier League as a whole, being able to attract Pep Guardiola. And you have Pep Guardiola that attracts Jurgen Klopp and all these other good coaches. These aren't coincidences. So you don't really want to punish the, uh, you know, the thing that's made your league so successful. So I don't think it's going to be as I, mean, I think anything can happen. I mean, but I have a hard time believing they're going to punish them so much that they're going to be um, not competitive anymore. Yeah, like the idea of a relegation is never going to happen. They're not going to relegate Manchester City. Yeah, and it's it's I don't know. It's 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 a hard it's a hard thing to understand because this is how these teams like bring in so much money. That's how they're so successful. That's how they get all these big name players to come in. So on the one hand, you want to have the financial fair play, but on the other hand this murkiness and this big borderline corruption uh, is what, it's what makes them successful. So uh, it's, it's bizarre. Honestly, it's really bizarre. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious if Pep Guardiola sticks around. That's my big, my big question because big clubs come and go. Um, maybe Newcastle will be the next big team in England. Maybe Man City will have a fall from grace, uh, but does Pep Guardiola stick around now? And if not, where does he go next? That'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, that's the big question. Because uh, I think that he was quoted a couple years ago as like saying, if they ever lied to me, like I would leave or something like that. But that was the the quotes that were coming around. And it definitely seems like uh, he doesn't seem like the type of guy who would be complicit in a multi-tiered uh, financial scheme. Um, he seems to like football too much for that to happen. Uh, I will say, <laughs> I have weirdly found like a level of affection for the players on that team. Have you watched the Manchester City like documentary they put out on YouTube? Have you watched this? No, I haven't. No, what are you seeing from it? It's good. I mean, here's the thing. It's pure like PR, right? Like they're not showing anything bad. Like they're like I'm not getting to see the like the the executive oil money spreadsheets on this documentary that they're publishing, but I will say it has really endeared me to the players. Like I I don't understand it. Uh it's really well like produced, but like they're getting into like the personal lives of all these players and like Phil Foden has like his kid around like Bernardo Silva makes coffees for him and Riyad Mahrez before every match. Uh, Nathan Ake like plays the piano and it's just like, <laughs> I weirdly, <laughs> I've weirdly watched them nice. and I'm kind of like, Oh, they're kind of sweet. And, and it's like, Oh, okay. I mean, the players you know, might be sweet, but, and Pep Guardiola, God bless him. Every clip of him. And I understand English like isn't his first language, but it seems like the only thing he tells the team over and over again in English is get to the ball, get to the ball, get to the ball, get to the ball, like over and over again, like literally the entire time. And it's just made me like him a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, his ideas are like, they're not that, when you actually like break them down, they're not that complicated. Uh, but it's so interesting. Like, I think that's going to be, it's an issue with Barcelona and, and Madrid too. Like the fact that 
like all this great social media that Barcelona does too, if it's not in English, that's a problem. The fact that, you know, you, you reach such a wider audience globally, these Premier League teams, because all this like great content is in English. And in Barcelona's case, if you put it in Catalan, you know, my family's from Barcelona, so I'm not trying to hate on, on Catalan or Spanish, but it's hard to market that. And with now I really money, want to go watch there's ways to do Catalan. both. That's the thing. Like you don't have to completely cut out your Spanish audience. Like, you can put equal yeah. effort towards both. It just costs money. And Barcelona don't want to spend money right now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But the players, what's interesting about Barcelona is you go over there and, uh, you know, it's, well, it's funny just to bring it up. Like there, this, I think, came out about why did Gavi go over to Dembele and uh, celebrate the goal against Sevilla? And that was so, you, you, you see that? Yeah, he went into the stands and gave mm-hmm. Dembele a hug after he scored the goal. And apparently like there's this thing there used to be so many clicks in barcelona so the french players always hang out with the french players and then the spaniards with the spaniards and the catalans with the catalans and the you know brazilian whatever so on and so forth but apparently there's a lot more unity among the players right now and dembele has taken a made a bit effort to actually like um create relationships with gavi and all the spanish players so the other thing about isn't just like the marketing and the language but in barcelona like how you like prevent these clicks from forming within the team and uh it's really nice to see that uh, the French players, it's not the French click anymore and that they're integrating more with the yeah. Spaniards and that you can see on the field that they actually like each other personally. That's really cool you brought that up because I had no idea. Uh, but like, yeah, I mean, the thought of if Barcelona put out some sort of documentary like this, it would be awesome. But Xavi's, Xavi's too much of a tight butt to let that happen right now. Like he's very militaristic that's, with everything that's happening. Like, <laughs> I Yeah. And here's the thing. If it results in points on the field, like whatever. Uh, but just like have an intern walk around with a video camera now and again. Like even if it's subtitles, I would still watch the crap out of that. Like there's just no way I wouldn't. It, it's I would too, too interesting. Uh, yeah. And I, I think know. that um, Pep Guardiola likes the camera more than Xavi likes the camera. You need a coach who like a Jose Mourinho. Great documentary content because you need a manager who just loves the did, camera to be on. Did them. you watch the uh, the Amazon series when he was at Spurs? I saw a lot of clips from it, not all the way through, but yeah. I, I didn't watch all of it. I just watched a couple episodes. I mean, it was just unbelievable watching him interact with Daniel Levy and watching him interact with uh, uh, freaking oh, what's his face. Why? Why am I blanking? Midfielder, a lot of potential left. Now he stinks. English. Um, why am I blanking uh, on his name? He was great. Oh wait, wait, wait. Who was Doherty or no? No, uh, he's English. Like young dude. Why can I not think of his name? Hang on. This is bad. He's a former Tottenham player? Former Tottenham player. Like, a lot of potential English, young. Uh, last name, Ali. Why, why can't I think of his first name? Deli oh, Ali. Deli Ali. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Deli Ali did not seem to like Jose uh, Mourinho in the clips I saw. Um, okay. Is that, is that our segue to USMNT? The new coach of the USMNT is going to be Jose Mourinho? I don't want to talk about that. No, I, I did have that on our <laughs> notes, but I, I'm, I'm going to save that. Uh Okay. Before, so the Champions League is coming back, and again, we only have a couple more minutes before my Zoom kicks me off. Uh, PSG are going to probably be without Messi and Mbappe for the first leg against Bayern Munich, who are now looking unstoppable with Jao Cancelo uh, that City inexplicably just gave to them. Um, I would have loved yeah, to have crazy. seen him at Barcelona. Whatever. Uh, me too. What's your thoughts on that matchup now? It's going to be a good matchup. Um I think Manchester City absolutely still needs. To, uh, I'm sorry, not Manchester City. I think it's PSG Bayern Munich, right? Yeah, <laughs> got to get that. Yeah, I know all this stuff. They with Man City. Well, Man City is going to have to hope that getting rid of Joel Cancelo doesn't come back to haunt them. 
But in that matchup, um, I'd probably take, you know, Bayern Munich because they're just a very stable team when it counts. Um, but uh, I think Joao Cancelo is a big difference maker. And I'm not sure, like, year after year, if PSG can prove that these guys can come together in these big moments, these big superstars, and get the job done. It's I feel bad for them. They always have tough matchups. But uh, I think, you know, a big player like that is what you need to to spark a little turnaround. And Bayern Munich needed to turn around because they were struggling a lot in the Bundesliga. And now I think they got what they needed to, to you know, exactly the right time to give PSG uh, a good showing. So if I had to put money on it, my money's on Bayern Munich. Yeah, I mean, to be without Messi and Mbappe for the first leg at home, like that sucks. <laughs> that's that's brutal. Like, yeah. uh, especially, uh, I don't know if you saw the clip that was going around about uh, PSG's last minute attempt against Marseille in the uh, in the, the I can't remember what the French domestic cup is called, but uh, they needed a goal, yeah. and in the final few minutes, they were just like dinking the ball back and forth to each other, and it just looked pathetic. And yeah. they have not looked convincing. Uh, in the league as of late and again things change in a few months right like when this matchup first came out i was very impressed with psg Bayern munich looks stagnant and even until a week ago Bayern munich looked kind of stagnant but now with the injuries and Bayern munich looking great again uh i don't know i'm just really excited for the champions league to be back and the europa league to be back it's great me too yeah psg just doesn't have a lot of depth so you're right like now they're in trouble they don't have a lot of backup wins they're in trouble all right well, we'll talk about the U.S. Men's National Team next time. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure the Barcelona audience are, are thankful we're not getting into that this time. But I don't care. Um, Nick, yeah. as always, thank you for joining us. Enjoy the uh, the European matchups back this week. Enjoy the league this weekend, and we will chat next time. Sounds good. You as well.